What's up, Fellowship College? Let's stand together. Let's sing this evening. Prone to wonder, prone to wonder. 
that verse that we just sang. We sing these next two verses pretty often when we play this song at Fellowship. Um, I feel like we kind of blow through them, and they're really rich, and they're good. And so, Ruthie, if you would, let's, let's put that whole verse up on the screen. And guys, this is just a prayer. Uh, the words are so rich. The thought behind it is so rich. So read through these words. Let's make this our prayer. All I design or do or 
Reconstruction series, and uh, in just a few minutes, Josh is going to come up and he's going to teach us um, about reconstructing the church. So the first week <clears throat> we learned about reconstructing life after death. And the next week was creation. Last week, uh, Tad taught us about the Bible, the Word of God. And this week we'll finish with the church. Um, and as Josh and I were talking this week, kind of planning this service, I was reminded of a story. Um, that I thought was so cool um, that, that comes from a, it's a songwriting story, essentially. And so there's an artist, um, he's a worship pastor, he's a songwriter. You guys have probably heard of him. His name is Matt Redman. If you haven't heard his name, you've heard his songs. So uh, he wrote the song 10,000 Reasons. Um, he also wrote the song Heart of Worship, and we're gonna sing that one in a second. And he wrote a ton of other awesome worship songs as well. But um, And so Matt Redman, <laughs> as a part of a church in England. And several years back, as, as he was kind of writing more music, becoming a more established worship leader, and uh, the pastor of his church was, was kind of making a name for himself, um, together they, they came together and they became worried that their fame was outgrowing the fame of Jesus in their church. And they decided as a church they wanted to pump the brakes on what they were doing there at the church. And so specifically, um, they wanted to pull back musically. And so for the next few months, almost a year, they decided we're not gonna have any band at all. Um, no, no real leader or anything. We're just gonna sing songs a cappella. So the church can be encouraged by hearing one another worship alongside each other and kind of take ourselves out of this. And so months go by and they do this and there's no real timeline to it. They didn't set like a, a date when they bring the band back up. And, um, but over this time, Matt Redman begins to write a song. And the first service back, when they brought a band back in, the first song that they sing together is the song that he wrote. Um, and it's really beautiful. And you've probably heard it before. And it goes like this. It says, when the music fades and all is stripped away, I simply come longing just to bring something 
that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for song in itself is not what you have required. But you search much deeper within than the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. So the church sang these words together, and I think that they were able to get a fresh breath of what the church is actually meant to do, to glorify the name of an almighty God and not lift up a worship pastor or a teaching pastor, but to come together as a group of people and to worship together. And so we're gonna sing this song, Heart of Worship, um, and I hope that you see it through a new lens tonight. And so let's stand together and let's sing this one more song. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply call. Longing just to bring something that's a word that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. Search much deeper within than the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made when it's all about you it's all about you Jesus It's all about you, 
It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. God, remind us this evening that it is, in fact, all about you. We bring uh, all of our issues, all of our problems, all of our doubts, we bring them in here, God. We hand them over to you. You are bigger than all of those things. And so, God, may we rest uh, in your majesty. Thank you for Jesus and his precious name. You guys can have a seat. So tonight we're concluding our series on reconstruction. Uh, We're talking about reconstructing the church tonight. And uh, when I meet with guys that are kind of deconstructing their faith or they're even, some of them are, are walking away from the faith, the thing I see more often than not is that there was some sort of hurt or abuse or pain that was caused by the church, maybe as, a, as an institution or even just pastors, youth pastors, staff members of the church. And so that, that's, that's real. And so there's actually, it's easy to kind of see that. I don't think that surprises a lot of us, especially as we, we look around and we see these marquee signs. Have y'all seen some of these? I don't know what decade it was when they decided that these big signs at the front of churches were, was gonna be like their, their marketing to get people in. But some of these are really, really bad. This, one, this first one is a direct quote from God, okay? So pro tip here, okay, I'm a pastor, pro tip. Don't direct quote God unless you're talking about the Bible. Here's their direct quote of God. Big Bang Theory, You've got to be kidding. God. <laughs> here's, here's another one. You might have to read this one once or twice. It says, don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. And this one, this one, if there's some math majors in the room, this is going to help you a lot. It might take you a couple times. It says one cross plus three nails plus one resurrection equals four given. Some of y'all are like, that's actually not bad. That's a pretty good, pretty good sign. Math majors in the room, what, what's wrong with this? One plus three plus one equals five. Good, good thing we got faith though, right? We don't need math or science because we got faith. That's all that matters. And this last one, I almost didn't put this one up. By far, the worst one, I don't know what, what meeting there was to decide, like, this was, yeah, this is, like, the way we're going to reach our community. This is the way we're going to, like, seek the loss, and people are going to just start flocking into our churches. But this is an actual sign. I kissed the girl, and I liked it. Then I went to hell. <laughs> like, What? This is crazy, and so it's not hard to see that, that the church has, has, has caused a lot of pain. Maybe you even had a youth pastor 
like this guy. <laughs> when are you going to stop messing with God? He was so proud of that. He was bragging about hitting a, a kid. And so it's, it's really easy to kind of joke and, and poke fun and make light of like, oh, like that church over there, that pastor, those guys, those people but I, but I really do know that some of y'all in this room have hurts from the church that are real. Maybe even happened here, I don't know. And I want you to know that I'm so, so sorry. That is not how it's supposed to be. This place, the church was supposed to be this safe place, this, this, this refuge, this community. And it's caused, it's caused a lot of hurt. So tonight, we're gonna try and pick up some of the pieces. We're gonna try and reconstruct, figure out what this thing is called the church. So we're gonna start by kind of laying down a foundation. Okay, so I think it's really important to ask the question right off the bat. What is the church? And if you ask Webster's, here's what, here's what Webster says. It says that the church is a building that is used for Christian religious services. And now, a lot of you probably wouldn't, wouldn't admit it or wouldn't maybe say it necessarily like this, but functionally, practically, this is kind of what the church has been for you, maybe, maybe your entire life. The church has just been this, this building or this place that I, that I go to on Sundays or Wednesdays if I'm feeling really holy. Like, this is just a a place that I go to. I'll go and do my church thing, and then I'll go do the rest of my life. And when we build on this type of foundation, no wonder so many things feel off and broken. Here's a much better definition that I wanna kind of be our, our starting point tonight. Colin Hansen in his book says that the church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world. The church is not just some place we go, not some, some building, but it's actually a, a gathering. It's, a, it's, a, it's an assembly, a collection of people. In fact, the word in Greek for church is ekklesia, which just means, it means assembly, or a group or collection of people that have a similar mission and vision and purpose, specifically to go and proclaim the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. That's what the church is. 
So that's our definition foundation right there, but I think we need kind of a, a heart posture foundation. Because if, if you're like me at all, when we kind of tackle an issue like this, it's really easy to, to point fingers at other people, other churches, here's what they do wrong, they're heretics, here's, here's where they're off. Or it's also easy to fall into the camp of saying, you know what, this thing is messed up and broken, this church thing, I'm done with it, we're just gonna forget about the church altogether, we're just gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I don't want us to do either of those things, I wanna walk this tension. Charles Spurgeon really hits this well, he says, you that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I would have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. This is the type of posture I want tonight. Not this forget the church or, oh, those guys over there across the street suck, but I want us to look at where we're at. Acknowledge our imperfections, acknowledge where we've kind of gone off, where we're broken, and take steps forward together as a collection, as an assembly of men and women who are trying to display God's kingdom in this city. And so if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Acts chapter four for the rest of the night. And what we're gonna see is we're gonna see what, just a snapshot, a glimpse of what the early church looked like. And then we're gonna contrast that with kind of where we're at today. And so Acts chapter four, starting in verse 32, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is what the church was doing right from the get-go. So the first thing that we see from this this church in Acts, the early church, we see this, this unity. Just look at that first verse, verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and one in mind. They shared everything. This common passion, this common mission, this common vision, this purpose that Jesus had sent them on united them. They weren't worried about all the different things around them. They weren't worried about different socioeconomic statuses or different religious backgrounds before that. They were just focused on that one thing. And I actually think we, we kind of we understand this. I think we see this play out in a lot of different areas in our lives. This last year, I experienced what a Saturday in Fayetteville in the fall looks like. It's crazy. I mean, it's not only the whole city, but the entire state rallies around for, for this one purpose. Razorback football, baby. 
They rally, like literally the entire state funnels into the city of Fayetteville, all dressed the same, wearing the same color, seated in this stadium, and they are locked in. There's a common purpose, a common vision. It's us versus them. Like there's this, this unity that happens in that stadium. It's crazy. And when the hogs score or they get a really nice stop, I mean, the place goes wild. It's one of the loudest places I've ever been to. The place goes crazy, and you're just, you're high-fiving people around you. Doesn't matter where they were last night, where you were last night. Doesn't matter where you're from, what high school you went to. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter denomination. It doesn't matter. And it's like, you're just, doesn't matter who you voted for. It's like, we're, we're focused in, like, we're all on a team here. We're supporting the hogs. There's this unity that happens in that place on Saturdays in Fayetteville in the fall. And it's actually really, really cool to experience. But when it comes to the church, instead of this this unity, we see this division where the early church was so focused on this mission that Jesus himself had sent them on We're over here divided. And before we go any further, let me make one thing clear. When we're talking about this tonight, where we fall short, like this is is a we thing. This is not a you guys, y'all thing. This is a we, this is me. I'm part of of the issue. So I, I don't want you to hear me pointing fingers at you. This is something that we're all in. So where the early church was so united, so focused, nothing else mattered, none of their differences matter. We're over here playing games, if we're being honest. We're looking at other churches and, and talking about our differences. Oh, well, here's what that church believes about spiritual gifts. So, you know, I don't know what I can, I don't know if we can trust them. They're more topical teachers and we're exegetical, so obviously we're, we're better. So like I, like, I don't know if you should, you should go over there. They're, they're Tim Keller people. I'm more of like a John Piper guy. So like, I don't know, I'd kind of keep, keep my distance. They talk about politics too much or they don't talk about politics enough. We love to focus on the division, the things that are different between us. And if you were the enemy, wouldn't this be a pretty good strategy? Hey, let's distract them with these little things. Let's distract them with these little things that divide them so that they completely forget their purpose. Because heaven forbid, if they all united in one city together for a common purpose, Look out. That would actually make a difference in this place. So let's keep them divided. Let's keep them distracted. We've forgotten what this whole thing is about. So where the early church was united, we have division. Second, We see in the early church this this boldness. Look at verse 33. 
It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Now, at first glance, this might not seem like that big of a deal. You're like, okay, cool, they, they testified about the resurrection of Jesus. Like, we do that. But if you have your Bibles open, the whole first half of Acts chapter four is a story of Peter and John going and testifying about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And what happens? The religious leaders are not happy. In fact, they're so mad that they go and pull them aside, they arrest them, and they, they threaten them. Hey, y'all, y'all need to stop this. This whole Jesus thing is done, or else. Imprisonment, death, you don't wanna see the consequence of what happens if you continue. And their response is, is, is breathtaking, it's amazing. They say, basically, hey, you do what you have to do. But as for us, we can't help but speak about Jesus. This is all we can, this is all we're focused on. We can't help but to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And then they go back and meet with the other believers and they tell them about this persecution, these threats, and they pray together. And even their prayer is crazy. Instead of praying that the persecution would be gone, like we would pray, they pray that God would give them boldness by the power of their spirit in the middle of the persecution. Not that he would take it away, but that he would give them boldness to continue to speak about the resurrection of Jesus, to continue to testify amidst persecution. There was this boldness unafraid, and yet, where there was boldness in the church in Acts, I can't help but seeing in my own heart and in the lives of the people I meet with this this desire, this need for comfort. We should, we should be seeking, we should always want comfort, this comfortability, like, oh, like, what's gonna make, meet my needs? What's gonna meet my wants? Like, I want to be comfortable. A lot of people are, are preaching against the prosperity gospel. And hey, I'm like, I'm with you. I'm all for that. Like, if you read the Bible, it's not about, health, wealth, and prosperity. But the gospel that I'm so much more worried about is one that's so much subtler. It's the comfortable gospel. Pray a prayer, sign the card, get baptized, and then live the rest of your life however you want. You know, make some good decisions here and there. Go to church as much as you can. But but like the rest of your life is in your hands. You're good to go. Like, You do whatever you want. No need to take risks. No need to step out in faith. You're good to go, so just set that cruise control all the way into heaven. When 
when I was in Dallas doing ministry, we would take high school kids uh, to Haiti, Highland Park kids specifically, so like culture, culture shock. And we would take the, these, these Highland Park kids to, to Haiti, and we got to teach them how to, how to share their testimony, we got to teach them how to share the gospel, and it was so cool. We got to go door to door to door and, and testify to the resurrection of Jesus. And I'll never forget one man that we ran into. All he had to his name was this tarp and some tent poles and a mat to sleep on. And we find out he has this like two-month-old. And we find out that his wife had died during childbirth, during labor. So he just had this, this tarp, these tent poles, a mat, and this kid to take care of. And as we asked them questions, it became so clear so quickly that this man was a follower of Jesus. And very quickly, he kind of turned the tables on us, and he started asking us questions, wanted to know all about America, wanted to know all about things that were going on here. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I pray for the church in America every single day. We're like, thanks, bro, but like, we're doing, we're doing good. <laughs> like, I was like, well, like, what are you praying for? He's like, he's like, I can't imagine. I can't imagine how difficult it would be to follow Jesus when you have so much stuff. He's like, I can't even wrap my mind around how hard it would be to follow Jesus when there's distractions and there's possessions and there's all these things going on. He's like, I don't understand how you do it. He's like, I pray for you every day. That must be so difficult. And here was I, I think, just thinking, he was the one that needed my prayers. And I realized, maybe for the first time, how far off we had come. That church had become about comf being comfortable. The last thing that we see, there's a picture of my wife and I in Haiti, by the way. Cheers. The last thing that we see in Acts is we see the early church and their sacrifice, right? You probably, this is probably one of the things that you, you saw right away. We saw the early church's sacrifice. Verses 34 and 35 say, there was no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. And they brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Can I say something crazy? I mean, this looks like socialism, doesn't it? Can we say that here in a church? Is that okay, the Bible Belt? This looks like socialism. Here's how the early church operated. Hey, you have excess of something, whether that's an abundance of 
property, an abundance of good, an abundance of food, an abundance of clothing, an abundance of whatever. You have an abundance, and that person over there has a need? Well, of course, my, God has given me this abundance so I can go meet the need of that person over there. And so I'm gonna sell it, I'm gonna bring it, I'm gonna give it to the church leaders, and I'm gonna say, find someone that has a need. I have too much. I have too much of this, like, go and give it to that person. They have a need. And there's this, this sacrifice. And, and what I see over here in the church today in America, instead of this, this sacrifice, instead of this serving others, this agape love, I, I can't help but see a consumerism. I can't help but to see instead of asking how can I serve? How can my abundance meet the needs of someone else? We're asking the questions, how do I get more? What do I need? What do I want? We do this when we're, when we're picking churches even. We ask the questions, well, who has the teaching that I like the best? Who has the worship that I like the best? Where do the people that act like me, think like me, vote like me, look like me, like where do, where do those people go? Who has coffee? That might sound like, like a funny thing, but that's, that's what I based, when I was in college, when I was a freshman in college, that's what I based it off of. I literally picked a church for one reason because they would let me bring in coffee. Now, those of you that know me know that coffee's a big deal to me. But come on. Like, I had this church that I went to, and I mean, man, they were like, they were like the church in Acts. They were, they were serving the community. It, ma it made me uncomfortable. They were serving the community. They were giving. There was opportunities for me to be a part of this thing, this great commission that Jesus has, has sent us on. And when I walked into the doors, they met in a high school auditorium. And so in order to honor the high school and the janitors there, they didn't allow anyone to bring in coffee. And so I literally said, that was my last service there. I said, okay, good luck, have fun doing this whole thing. And I, I went to a church and I asked my friends, like, where do you guys go? They're like, oh, I go to this church. I was like, tell me about it. They're like, oh, well, we, no, 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 no. Tell me about their coffee situation. Yeah, they're, they're good with that. I'm in, let's go. I, I mean, this, I wish I was making this up. I picked a church based off of coffee. And I'm not saying that some of those things aren't important. But what if, just go with me here for a second, what if our first priority for picking a church, the first thing we did when we were deciding where am I gonna be connected, where am I gonna be a part of, was, man, how is this church going and spreading the gospel? How is this church 
going and being ambassadors for the kingdom in this area? Are there opportunities for me to serve? Are there opportunities for me to give back? What place could I go to that would, that would stretch me, that would grow me, that would allow me to go be God's hands and feet in the community? Like, what if that was the first thing? And then, yes, and then, man, we want to have good teaching. Yes, I want to I wanna praise God. I want to give back in the ways that we pray, and I want to I get connected in the community. Like, those things are so good and so important. But I don't think those should be the first thing. Can you imagine for a second if even just this room, right? It's a, it's a light night tonight, Thanksgiving break. A lot of people went home already. Like, like imagine if just the people in this room was like the church in Acts. That instead of the vision, they were united. What if you all left this room with a united purpose, the great commission, the gospel, going out into the city? What if instead of seeking comfort and instead of just being afraid or fearful to go and share the gospel, to go and testify, stepped out into boldness? even if people would reject you, even if people wouldn't hang out with you anymore. Like, can we imagine just for a second if, if Peter and John was in this room and they were asking like, like hey, how's, like, how's evangelism going? How's this, this the, the declaration of the gospel in your city? How's that been? Like, what would we say? Ah, like, it's been kind of tough. Oh, okay, like, what's going on? Persecution? Have they, have they given you death threats? Have they, like, are they gonna put you in prison if you keep sharing the gospel? Is that why, like, hey, I get it, I've been there. It's like, no, 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 that's, that's not really it. Oh, it's, it's like your, your family, huh? Oh, man, I've been there. They're, they're, they're threatening your family, or maybe your family is threatening you, and they're gonna, they're gonna disown you if you continue to do this Jesus thing, if you continue to follow the way, your family, maybe your job, is it your job? Like, you won't be able to find work. Like, what is it like? You're gonna go into poverty if you continue to, to talk about the resurrection of Jesus? No, like job, no, family job, like that stuff is good. No, it's, it's, none, of, no, it's none of those things. Those things are good. Okay, like, like what is it? Like, just kind of awkward. Like, I don't wanna be that guy, you know? makes me a little uncomfortable. That would be, it'd be a tough conversation. So what if this room didn't care? Instead of being led by comfort and fear, we were led by, by boldness. And instead of seeking what's best for me, what meets my needs, what, what do I want, we thought, do I have an abundance? And if so, does someone have a need that that can meet? Whether that's time, possessions, money, gifts, like, do I have an abundance of any of those things? And if so, where is a need in this community that, that I, can, I can use those or I can give those? 
what if we were a community like this? Man, I think we would start to see some change. And again, let's go back to that heart posture. My goal tonight is not to make you feel guilt or shame. My goal tonight is not to point at other churches. My goal tonight is not to just throw it all away. Let's all go move to Haiti. We'll buy tarps and we'll just like go do this church thing there. It'll be much easier. Like that's not my goal. My goal is to recognize where we're off, to take steps in the right direction. I think Charles Spurgeon helps us in that again. He says, the church is faulty, but that is no excuse for you not joining it if you are the Lord's. Your own faults don't need to keep you back either, for the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who though they are saved are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. So where do we go from here? What's, what's next? I actually think Jesus helps us in this tremendously. Believe it or not, Jesus himself wrote seven letters to the church. Did y'all know this? If not, like, it's really cool. Revelations 2 and 3, Jesus writes these letters to seven different churches, kind of addressing where they're off and what they need to do, giving the diagnosis and the prognosis, like what, what, what's gone wrong and where do we go from here? And the church that I think fits the situation that we're in right now better than any is his letter to the church in Laodicea. So we're gonna read this. It's long, so stay with me. There's gonna be a lot of words on the screen. If you need to close your eyes and just pretend like Jesus himself is speaking this over us tonight. We're gonna see a diagnosis, what's going wrong, and where do we go from here? Revelation 3 says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Here's what Jesus says. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. That's the diagnosis. We're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Jesus has offered to give us everything we need, and yet we've said we're rich. We have everything we need in ourselves. We don't need what he has to offer. And so here's the diagnosis, or the prognosis. He says, here's what you do next. If this is where you are at, as a church, or individually, it says, be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I give the right to sit with me on my throne 
just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So where do we go from here? This is where we're at. Step one, we repent. We recognize where we're off. We confess that to God, to one another. We repent, we, we turn. We turn back to Jesus. Do you, do you see this? He says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. He's saying this to an entire church. Which means if Jesus is knocking on the door, it means he's not inside that church. And so he's saying, I'm trying to come back in, but you gotta open the door. We gotta realize that we have, we have left Jesus outside the church and we've tried to do this thing on our own, by our own strength and our own power. And the first thing we need to do before we, we try and do this checklist of, of, of things, the first thing we need to do is repent and let Jesus back in and follow him. Father, we do confess as as a church, Lord, that we are off. Lord, that so many of us, myself so included, have tried to do this thing by our own strength, for our own glory. Will you forgive us of that? Will you help us, Lord? Would, Would you come back in Be at the center of everything we do. Would you lead us into this community? Lead us into a broken and hurting world and allow us to be your hands and your feet. We need you desperately. So would you come in? In the darkness, we were waiting Without hope, without light, from heaven came running. There was mercy in your eyes. Fear, law, and prophet, through the virgin came the word. From the throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Let's stand and respond and worship. the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the Coming and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you sought to the other side, knowing this was our salvation. Jesus, for our sake, you died. Pray. 
through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our, to help in time of need. Tempts me to despair. 
tells me of the guilt within Upward I look and see him there Who made an end to all my sin Because the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on Him and pardon me To look on Him and pardon me Hallelujah Righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One in Himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by His blood. My life is here with Christ on Christ my Savior my God with Christ my Savior you on the cross but you conquered death and you rose three days later from the grave to make us adopted sons and daughters of an almighty God it's through your sacrifice and that alone that we have obtained righteousness in the eyes of this almighty God 
And so, Yahweh, we bend the knee to you tonight and to you alone. God, you're worthy of our glory and honor and praise. May we continue to pour that out all of our days. It's in your son's precious name. Amen. Fellowship Fayetteville, we love you guys. We will be off next week to celebrate Thanksgiving. Be very safe. Have fun with your families. We love you all. Have a great couple of weeks of worship. We'll see you in two weeks.